I was thinking about something this morning. Uh, it was kind of a, a wish that uh, will, at least won't happen on this earth, but I wish you would have known my grandfather. Um, amazing guy. I'm a lot like him. Um, <laughs> you're a little slow this morning. Um, actually, he was a lot like me, except on steroids. And um, an amazing uh, Christ follower, amazing everything. He, he, um, uh, he, he was a businessman. He, he was an entrepreneur. He, he could create things out of nothing. When, uh, during the Great Depression, uh, he, he not only provided well for his family during that time, but uh, my grandmother, because my grandfather could provide so well, was cooking food for half of South Cumberland, Maryland. And, and it was just, you know, just to watch how his life unfolded was, was amazing. And um, I uh, uh, didn't know all the pieces of his life, so I, I can share with you what I learned and what I knew after I came into consciousness of what he was doing. I never, I never pictured him uh, or would tell you that he was the thing that he did the greatest, which was being a pastor. Um, I knew him as a wallpaper hanger and a house painter. And um, it, it was so cool. He, he would literally go to work uh, with a, a sweater on and a tie and paint and, and wallpaper. I guess that's how you did it back in those days. And so he was always, you know, dressed to the hilt, going to work. Um, he, he owned a, a store where they sold paint and wallpaper, and, and he was doing business. And then on Sundays, and I, I spent a lot of time with him. I spent a lot of time with my grandparents. My sister and I did. And, and we would just go to church, and it just so happened that he was the preacher. He was the guy doing the stuff. And we just thought that all was normal. And, um, and, and yet, when I learned more and more about his life, I saw how unusual it really was. He, and, and I've shared this with you before, but for those of you that don't know the story, he was a church planter. He wasn't just a pastor he literally went out and started churches in places and communities where there were no churches because he had such a call and desire for people to know Jesus, to, to come to Christ and to see their life fulfilled. There's so many stories I could tell you today that I don't have time to tell you, but it was remarkable. Every summer, he would take his family, figure out what community he wanted to start a church in, move his family there. They would camp out uh, in, in, a, in a tent or in a barn, which I would have left that family if I had been in it. I just don't, I, I camp out at Holiday Inn. That's like as low as I go on the camping thing. Nothing, I guess, you, I don't mean, if you, if you own a Holiday Inn, I am so sorry. Um, <laughs> gosh, I'm supposed to be learning these things. Um, but all of that aside, they would move into a community for the summer. He would set up a tent or they'd have service in a barn and it would just be nightly services every night of the week and on Sundays. And it would start with three people and five people and seven and then 10 and then 30. And by the end of the summer, there would be, you know, 30 to 50 people as part of that new little church, people who just came to Christ, gave their lives to the Lord. All the time, 
He's building a building. He'd mortgage his house and he'd build a little tiny church building uh, any way that he could, making family members help, whatever. And, um, and then he would also be finding somebody who could come and pastor that church when he went back to work in September. He started six churches by himself and another six with help with a few other people. Twelve churches. Now, these weren't huge churches, but they were significant. I think all but one of them is still going today, and this was like 100 years ago. Um, average age in the church is like 120 or something like that. Is, you, know, it's, you know, they don't move fast, but um, we, uh, as a family, we started tracking as much as we could, the impact that he had on the lives of people. And we still just run into things that will blow your mind. Um, but literally, literally, not, not hypothetically, literally, there are thousands upon thousands of people who know Jesus because of what this guy did. And he was a house painter and a wallpaper hanger. He was part of a denomination. He had to do that. And and this was in a time when if you didn't have a denomination sponsorship, you weren't for real. And so he had this, this denomination affiliation. And, you know, he was just doing what he was supposed to be doing. And one day, a couple of people who lost their minds um, made the decision that you could no longer work in a job and be a pastor in their denomination because you didn't have enough faith to trust God with your finances. Think about that for a little bit. So they came to his doorstep and took his ordination away from him. And it was so devastating to my grandfather. Literally, he quit everything. He quit church planting. He quit church. He quit relationships. And um, it wasn't until (laughs) he went back to church, sort of, because my father, um, who had just come out of the Coast Guard during World War II and felt called to pastor a church, uh, he he got, my, my father was going to speak and my grandfather stood outside of the building listening to my father um, preach. And that was his entry back in, um, the first step. He also told my father how many mistakes he made and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> it's a funny story. Um, but after he got over the, the pain of religion, he went back to work planted two more churches. Uh, He was 86, I believe, standing up to preach, opened up his Bible, read the scripture, and then fell over dead on the pulpit. Kind of messed up the service schedule, Um, but the man died with his boots on. And it's an amazing picture of how he lived. I I tell you this uh, for one reason, um, because, you know, we're, we're talking about this sacred-secular divide, this, this thing that is, I think, a travesty in the church today. Um, 
it's a, it's a perfect picture of religion trying to take ministry away from the people. And that is, um, that's been the MO of the church for about 1,700 years. And it's, uh, it wasn't anything that was uh, part of the New Testament. It wasn't anything that, I mean, it was just people taking something that God wanted to do and making it theirs, making it, canning the thing, putting it in a box. And it just took away ministry from people. And today I want to talk about this a little bit. I want to talk about it in the sense of calling, because I think that when we talk about calling to ministry, we have a, we have a really uh, tainted idea of what that really means. And if you talk to most pastors who aren't in it for the profession, you know, just for a job, and there are people like that, but if you talk to most pastors who aren't in it for the profession, they will talk about their calling to ministry. In fact, part of the ordination process in most denominations is you have to talk about your calling. And so they talk about a particular moment of time when God spoke to them. And that's, um, that's kind of an important thing to think about because it can cause some real confusion. When you, when you really take this to a biblical place, it doesn't quite make sense. And hopefully today I can at least create enough confusion that, that you start thinking about this in a different way. The, um, there, there's some things I wrote down, I call it the pain of calling, because this is what I have observed over my lifetime as it relates to the call to ministry. I, the, one of the pains comes from misinformation. It's this, that in the church world, the pastor is the highest calling. You know, and, and depending on where you come from, some of you are from, not from a church world, and, and this may be easier for you to understand than somebody who was like from another church or, you know, a church background. Uh, there is the calling of the priest, the calling of the, of the pastor. It's this, it's this thing, and it kind of sets you in a different place from everybody else. And, and so... It, it's, it's misinformation from the standpoint of serving, ministering, pastoring. All, it, it, it's, it's kind of a weird thing. There's the pain that comes from being misled. I have watched people who were very successful in what they were doing in life, but because somebody said, hey, there's a higher calling or there's a greater calling and it's to ministry, and they're referring to ministry inside the church, I have watched people decimate their careers, mess up their families, just cause all kinds of havoc and in the end are distraught because they really weren't that good at doing what it is they thought they were supposed to do or were told what they were supposed to do. Very challenging problem. And then finally, and I think uh, maybe the worst, is what I would call the missed calling because if you don't know what God has called you to do and you think it, only certain people get called, you'll miss the greatest adventure of your life. 
And I have watched people in the church my whole life feel like second-class religious citizens because they weren't in that group. And so um, I want to take a moment today to try to at least, like I said, create confusion for you. We, we have these, you know, this, this um, sacred-secular thing is, is a really big deal. I, I talked about it last week, and I want to cover it a little bit more today uh, so you can see it from the standpoint of your own life. We have created a divide between these two things. And it creates what is called dualism. In your notes, you've got the definition of dualism. I don't want to go through that again today. I talked about it last week. But what it really means is there ends up being two of us, right? It's, it's two, two parts that pull against each other. And, and so there's this church side of us, and then there's this secular side where we have to live every day. Over here, it, it's... it's Kind of like we've got our own deal going on, and and we've got uh, we've got our own uh, language, we've got our own education, we have our own talk, we have our own financial models. You know, it, it's just the list goes on and on. And over here are where all the people are, where we're at. This is where we live, and so. A lot of people think, okay, once a week, we need to go over here and do something, and then we go back over here where we live. That's, that's, uh, that's dualism. That's two of us. That, that doesn't, it doesn't come together mentally for us. Um, I've experienced this personally and uh, in, a, in a weird kind of way. Um, I'm a business guy who started a church. And I remember when I first felt like uh, I was supposed to do this and felt like God wanted us to start this church, and, and I'll talk more about that in a moment, but I had so many people like, what are you doing? I had people in my business world saying, hey, look, you've got a good thing going here. Why would you step out of this to go start a church? These were, these were actually business people who were Christ followers, you know, they're, they're, but they're like, Greg, you're a business guy. What are you doing? On the other hand, I had pastors say, you have no business starting a church. I had one guy call me the night before we started the church, a, a pastor in this area. And he's like, who said you could start a church? Who gave you permission? And I'm like, God? I don't know. Maybe. You know, why, did you hear something different? And, you know, but, and he's, he's no longer a pastor. Um, I had nothing to do with that either. I didn't, I'm just saying. But there was this conflict, right? You have this conflict. You're a businessman and a pastor and, and a businessman and a minister, a business, whatever. And I would tell you that is a conflict. And I would also tell you that you need to feel the same conflict. You need to experience the same exact thing. I don't think everybody here needs to go start a church. That would be rough on us next Sunday. But I'm just saying, there's something that you should be doing in your life that is ministry, and you should, not, you, you should have this conflict, but you should understand that it's part of God bringing ministry back to where it should have been in the first place is with His people. And so... Uh, you, you should feel the conflict being called to ministry and being called to nursing at the same time, or being called to ministry and being called to business at the same time, or being called to ministry and being called to building houses, or being called to ministry and being called to being a lawyer. 
Well, not that one, <laughs> but the others. I'm just joking. <laughs> Listen, Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. None of us can boast about it. Okay, we're all good with that, right? We, we, we get that. We understand grace. We, we, we didn't receive Jesus because, you know, we did something good. We received Jesus and our sins were forgiven because Jesus is good. And so we understand that. Here's where we lose it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So I want to talk about those plans. I want to talk about this calling that every one of you have. It's just as much a calling as it has been in my life and in my grandfather's life and my father's life and any pastor that you would ever know. It's your calling is as valid, important, and, and God-designed as anybody else. And I need you to understand that. The first thing in your notes, write this down. Everyone, everyone has a calling. Everyone has a calling. There is not one person in this room who doesn't have a calling. A calling is simply what God wants us to be and to do. That's all it is. It's what God wants us to be and to do. So we have a couple of different kinds of callings in our lives that we see in Scripture. The first one is what I call a general calling. Everybody has this. Everyone has a general calling from God. It, 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 it starts, you, you can read about it in the Old Testament, and it goes into the New Testament. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. And, and that's part of the, what they call the Shema. It's, it's the basics of, of Judaism, really, and, and the, the whole Hebrew movement that, that God introduced in Scripture. And then the second part of that is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus brought that into an entirely new uh, presentation in the New Testament, but the same thing applies. We are all called to love God, and the way we do that, we don't, we don't know who God is, right? He's kind of hard to define to someone. So Jesus said, if you want to know who God is, look at me. I'm the, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm, I'm life, I'm everything that in flesh that God created. And so your first call is to give your life to that, that picture of God who is Jesus. You need to love God. We are called to love him. Not out of a religious obligation, but because of the life that it brings. And then the second calling that we have, all of us, everybody here, has the calling to love others. If you're married, you need to love your spouse. If you have children, you need to love your children. If you have neighbors, you need to love your neighbors. If you have teachers, you need to love your teachers. If you, if you don't have any of those things, you live in Montana. It's just, everybody, we're supposed to love people. So, that's the first calling. The second one is what I call a specific calling. It's, it's one that is just for you. 
how do you find out God's call for your life? How do you know what that is? It kind of, you know, links with Romans 12. How do you know God's will for your life? It's, it's all probably one and the same question. There are a couple of ways that we hear God speaking to us and giving us the call that he has for our lives. The first one I would call, I would talk about, would be a, a, a God whisper. It's something that he drops in your heart and you instantly know that it's God. Talking about Destiny Church, I was working one day when, I, and, I, and I was loving what I was doing. I, I mean, my business was growing. It was on an exponential curve upward. It was amazing. And I'm sitting there working. There's a guy right behind me in the same office. And instantly, God said, I'm changing what you're doing. Now, I didn't know destiny was going to be it. I just knew that life as I knew it was over. It was one of those boom, magic moments. I will tell you this. Don't sit around waiting on one of those things to happen. If it happens, it happens. I can count on one hand and have a couple fingers left over of how many times that has happened in my life. So I'll, I'll come back to that in just a minute. But what if you don't hear anything? What if you don't hear the magic voice, the, the special whisper, which I think would probably be most of us? How do you know what God wants us to do, what your calling is. So there's this, um, you know, I'm back to three circles again, and we're going to talk about how this works. First, there's God. God, you know, you read Psalm 24, everything is his, everything belongs to him. Before there was, there was God. God is everything in all things. He created everything. It's all, he is the force, the source, he's everything. And so God created the world. You can call that culture. You, you, I, I want to plant a seed right here. I thought about this too this morning. The church, in so many ways, and I, I understand the language. I mean, Paul said this too, but, but we sometimes misinterpret this. Sometimes the church hates the world. Do we hate sin? Yes. Do we hate, you know, sexual slavery? Do we hate racism? Do we? Yes, yes, yes. We hate all that. Somehow in there, we sometimes begin to hate people. We sometimes begin to hate culture. We get all Fox Newsed up and we think the world's going to hell in a handbasket. And, 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 you know, I watch Fox News once in a while. Um... I watch CNN talk about dualism. <laughs> okay, I don't have no reason why I ever talked about any of that. Um, but God so loved the world that he gave his son and in such an incredible giving way so we would know what he looks like, but so that we could be saved. And then his son gave us a commission to send us back to the world. So here we are. This would be us. This would be you. It would be me. And, and so God is using us to reach the world. Now, who is us? Who are you? This is where 
it begins to, I think, start to make sense. You are a mix of gifts and talents. I'm going to start with that. You've been given gifts. You've been given talents. Some of you have more. Some of you have less. But sociologists say that every person has somewhere between three to five core gifts and talents. Kind of interesting. You, you may think, oh my gosh, I'm the one person who didn't get any. Not true. You just aren't thinking right. You've got three to five core talents in your life. Things that, not to mention, if you're a Christ follower, you've been given some spiritual gifts that God has for you. And, and these things become evident as you begin to grow in your relationship with Jesus. You have some things you're passionate about. Things that, oh my gosh, this needs to happen. You've got some things that you're burdened about. Oh my gosh, this needs to stop. You've got things in your life that were just total wipeouts, messes, disasters. Things that were wonderful. All of those things, all of those parts are yours. And so here's the deal. And this, I I don't think I put this in your notes. I'll start talking really slow so you can get this. I think we've got it on the screen. Yes, at the bottom. Calling is the intersection. That's this thing right here. It's the intersection of God's desire for his kingdom on earth. This thing right here happening His kingdom on earth. Our interaction with culture right here and who we are. That's your calling. That's, that's the start of you trying to figure out what it is that God has called you to be. He isn't going to transform you into some whole new character. He gave you everything you need, every part of you. He's allowed you to go through the things you've gone through. He, he, He knows what makes you happy. He knows what angers you and what needs to change around you. He knows all of that. And he says, this, along with this passion that I have for the world, for heaven on earth is the making of what you are supposed to do with your life. Coming back to the God whisper thing, if you get in touch with this, the whispers happen more often. Now, I'm not talking about the, you know, like the Destiny Church whisper that I got because I don't expect that to happen very often. I don't think... It works that way. I think God sometimes does that if he just needs to make a big time change. But you begin to hear his voice as you go through life. And he begins to put little nudges in, in your life. And, and, and you get used to his voice. You know, there's some of you, if you'd call me up and say, hello, how are you doing, Greg? I'd be like, who is this? Because we don't talk very much. I don't know who you are. If my wife calls me up and says, hey, I don't say, who are you? That would be really bad. Who is this? No, because I've gotten used to her voice. And I know when she speaks. And same, same with me. It, it, we, we just know. because we, and, and that's how it is with God's voice. The more, the more we get used to him, the more we understand this, the more we operate in this, the more God speaks and whispers. So we all have these specific callings. Number two, every calling has a story. 
Every calling has a story. You have a story. You say, well, I don't know what my story is. Um, How did you get to be you? What's in your past? Some of you are trying to ignore your past. You're trying to block out your past. You, You wish your past had never happened. Some of you are like, it was kind of benign. There wasn't anything there. I would challenge you today, go home and begin to think about your past and, and bring up every part of it because it's part of your story. It's who you are. It, and, and that doesn't mess up God's world. It doesn't mess up your calling. He knows who you are. He knows where you've been. He knows what has happened. You may not know who you are today. You're trying to block out things that are actually going to be part of of who you become. What lens do you see life through? I, I, I just got into a situation here recently and somebody told me something that happened and I just instantly said, well, that's not right. That can't be. But then they brought me back to what somebody else would think who hadn't lived my life. And I'm like, whoa, that changes everything. I didn't see it that way. I think, honestly, that's a huge part of our problem in this country with racism. I see things one way because I've lived one life. That is not reality. And... I think that we need to begin thinking that through because things happen and we all filter it through where we come from, not what a few people say is right. I think even scriptures can sometimes be interpreted in a completely different way based on where you come from. I think that's the wonder of God. I think that's the wonder of his word. What's your story? You might say, I... My story's not that great, Greg. It, it's, it's just not, not so, so good. Or it's, it, it's not very exciting. Um, <laughs> one, of the, one of the greatest things in my life is being a dad. I, I love being a dad. I'm not the best at it. I, I screw it up a lot. Um, but even today, our kids are all grown and having grandkids. and We keep having grandkids. I don't do anything, and they just keep coming. It's really kind of fun, actually. But um, I love my kids so much. And I I watch them. I'm irritating. I watch them. And I listen to them. And I want to know what they think. I want to know how they react to things. I want to know what they feel. It's so important to me because I I want to continue to push and prod and be a pain and, and help them and guide and, and, and just, I just love that. I, I don't have to work at it. It just happens. And I am not a great father. There is a great father. God, our father, is amazing. He's amazing. You, you, you're, if, if you don't see that with God, it's because your picture's messed up. You, you've, something's been misinterpreted. Something was missed somewhere. God sees everything about you, and he cares everything about you. There is nothing that you have done to push him from, away from loving you. I love this passage of scripture. Jesus was talking in Luke chapter 12. He says, what's the price of five sparrows, five little birds? Two copper coins. I guess there was a market for sparrows back then. Yet God does not forget a single one of them. 
Not one of them. And then he goes on, he says, compare that to this, the very hairs on your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. You are so valuable. So the story of your life is valuable to him. I think you need to begin to study that, to think about what is the story of my life? Why am I where I am? What brought me to this place? And how is God going to use that to change the world around me? Number three, every story is a journey. Every story is a journey. You aren't finished yet. It's it's all going somewhere. Life isn't, and and you may, this will take a while to, to grasp. Life's not a bunch of random and disconnected episodes. It's going somewhere. The pieces that came out of the blue that you weren't expecting, the things that that happened, and that wasn't supposed to happen, that's part of the journey. And while you didn't expect it, it was a pre-design. It was, it, it could have happened because of something that somebody did to you. It could have happened by, you know, you making a, a terrible mistake. It could have happened by luck. Something good happened. How did, where'd that come from, right? It, it could be any of those things. But this is a journey. And God uses every one of those things. I want you to write this down. Life has turning points. Turning points. And, and many of you have experienced this. A turning point is when everything stops and life goes in a different direction. Think of the darkest moment of your life ever to this, to this point. What is the darkest moment of your life? For some of you, it perhaps looked like the end. Life as you knew, knew it was over. I mean, and in many cases, that's true. Some of you have had one of those life as I knew it was over moments. But while it looks like the end, it's part of the journey and it's the beginning of a new purpose. I told you, I talked to you this some time ago. I'm running out of space here. But um, when you think about your life mission, who you are and what, what God's creating in your life, they're basically three legs of a stool that create who you are. And it's, they're not, it's not the ones you would think they are. It's not how great you are, how wonderful you are, how you know, talented you are. Um, they're basically three things. Fear. I'll put F for failure. And pain. These are the things that emissions created, created out of. These are the things that a call to ministry is based upon. It's not your greatness. Paul, Paul, Paul taught us this. He goes, you know, your best days are, are just not that great. It's in your weaknesses that you are made strong. It's in your weaknesses and your failures and your pain and your heartache and the messes where, where you become strong. And when you really hit the stride of your ministry that God has called you to, those are the things that are going to matter. Those are the things that will make up your story. Those are the things that will, you'll be able to share with others about the journey that you've been on. Psalm 23, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. 
Your rod and staff protect and comfort me. Number four, every journey needs a map. It needs a map. Psalm, or Proverbs 16.9 says we should make plans, but we need to count on God to direct us. We, we can make plans all we want. We should make plans. They're, they're great. It helps you get things going. But God's going to take your plans and do something with them that you didn't expect. I can guarantee it. It's, it's the way it works. But as you begin to think through your call to ministry, moving everything from here over to here in your life, He's going to use these things to help you define that. I'm not giving you your call to ministry today other than to say you're called to ministry. My, my grandfather, to this day, in my heart and mind, was a wallpaper hanger. And he just started churches and thousands of people gave their lives to Christ through the years. That, I mean, it's an amazing story. What is it that God has called you to do inside of the things that he has given you? The pain, the, 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 the advancements in your job. What, what is it that he is calling you to do? Because we've read early on that we have been created for these great plans that God has given us. That's not to a few people leading a church. That's to the church. That's to you and me. I feel just as called to my business as I do to pastoring this church. There's there's only one of me. You should feel that same thing. You should sense the fulfillment of God's call in your life as I feel in mine. And some of you will far exceed that because you're just smarter than me. It's just, we need to live in such a way that we're kingdom people. I want to close with this last thought. It's taken out of the book of Matthew, and it's a parable that Jesus taught about uh, these talents and gifts that were given uh, to a group of... to some people and, and what happened with that is they call it the parable of talents or something like that. Um, from that, there are three things I want to leave with you today. Number one, we've been given talents and gifts. We need to use them. If some of you know that God has gifted you with something and you're just kind of sitting on it, you're just kind of putting it back on a shelf somewhere, you're not doing what you need to do with those talents and gifts, then I'm not talking about church stuff here. I'm talking about what has God put in your life and you're ignoring? That you, you just, for whatever reason, it's, it's in the closet right now. Number two, we are a custodian of treasure that does not belong to us. That's our lives. We are a custodian of our own lives. Our lives are a gift from God. Our, our lives are not our own. If you're a Christ follower, you gave yourself away to a mission So you are a custodian of you. You're a custodian of your gifts. You're a custodian of your story. You're a custodian of the people that God has given you responsibility for. You you need to treasure that. You need to handle it because it's a gift from God to you to be used for Him. Number three, recognize that your calling is unique. Only you can do what you have been called to do. And I'm just challenging you today to lean into your calling.